0: This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station.
1: It's time for football.
2: Kevin De Bruyne! (laughs) one!
1: Just for kicks
0: on BFM 89.9.
2: Hello and welcome to Just for Kicks with me Cam Raslan and we have a lot to get through today but it's going to be almost entirely English Premier League but we will do some local football also at the end. So our two pundits today, uh, we have Azran Rozain.
0: Hi everyone, not the best uh, results over the weekend but looking forward to the next weeks of course.
2: Yeah but you've had a lot of practice now so I think that we can rely <laughs> It's
0: <laughs> rely on... been that sort of a season isn't it?
2: Yeah. <laughs> And we have the return of after doing a Marcus Rashford over the internationals. <laughs> uh, uh, he'll tell us how New York was. Nicholas Anil.
1: Hi, th- uh, thanks for having me, Cam. Yeah, <laughs> uh, wasn't really the best result over the weekend. But the good thing is that since the EPL is coming in thick and fast at this point, you know, there's not much time to dwell on defeats, so we just move on.
2: He's talking about Leeds United there, but we will gonna kind of, uh, we'll have more chance to talk about them in a moment. But uh, first of all, we're going to start with two matches, which I guess ordinarily would not be the first choice matches for our show, but they are because it led to two managers being sacked. We now have three vacancies, managerial vacancies. So we'll, let's start off, Azran, with Chelsea nil Aston Villa 2. And I have to say, Chelsea were, were okay. But they failed to be penetrating, as per usual. Apparently very low on the XGs, whatever that might mean. Um, But Villa were good.
0: I think this is typical of Chelsea's season, isn't it? I mean, a lot of possession, lots of shots, but nothing coming out of it. Uh, They lost 2-0 to a resurgent Villa. Um, Again, at the end of the day, Potter lost his job. Uh, I suppose this was a culmination, not because of the game itself, but the fact that he's lost, what, more than 30% of... Uh, all his games. I think he's lost eleven out of thirty-one games. So, after spending half a billion pounds, I'm sure the owner expects much more, right? Uh, and what they have left now is the quarterfinals versus the European Kings, uh, Real Madrid. So it doesn't really look good for Chelsea. Um, however, having said that, you know, this season we've had what thirteen seconds. You've mentioned it, can three clubs without a manager. Clearly, clubs are no longer patient at all. Uh, I think this is possibly driven by the investment that's coming in, but also fan pressure as well. It's such a global game and fans nowadays are very, very fickle. Uh, The panic button is pressed somewhat immediate. We knew that it was such a bit of a shock. I think the shocking thing about Chelsea this season for me, personally, is not really the fact that Potter got sacked, but the fact that Thomas Tuchel got sacked earlier. I think that was a bit... I think now we can see the whole decision... Really, I mean, in hindsight, it was such a bad decision. Uh, clearly, I think that Thomas Tuchel wasn't sacked because of performances on the pitch. But definitely something happening behind the scenes. Because Thomas Tuchel, as a manager, he won the Champions League for Chelsea. And now, he's at a big club, Bayern Munich. Even he won the top-of-table clash against Dortmund. So, a great start for Thomas Tuchel in Bundesliga. Uh It's just that, yeah, Chelsea has always had this knack of sacking managers, you know. Uh, since two thousands they fought, we had, what, 17 managers? So anyone brave enough to take the role now knows that they need quick success. So whoever that may be, Julian Nagelsmann, Luis Enrique, it's going to be a tough, tough ask for, for Chelsea. Uh, it doesn't look good for Chelsea at the moment, for sure.
2: Yeah, because Villa have overtaken them. Aston Villa have gone past them in the league. Uh, Nicholas, a quick word about Villa. They, they did pretty well. They're good. Two great goals.
1: Yeah, it was amazing goals. Um, I think Villa came in with a clear game plan. Uh, they knew that Chelsea playing at home, you know, we're going to take the game to them. And true enough, um, Chelsea pretty much dominated this game. I mean, there were 20 shots uh, fired at the Villa goal. I thought uh, Emi Martinez had an outstanding game. You know, mm. he was one of the big factors that uh, Chelsea actually did not even get a goal. Uh, three outstanding saves. Uh, the the first one, you know, uh, point blank to deny Mudrik, uh, which really set the tone uh, for for Villa. And then, you know, uh, two two other big saves to deny Kai Havertz and also Yao Felix. And what I like about this Villa team is that uh, Emery has worked really well within his resources, and you know he's galvanised um, Ollie Watkins for me, uh, who has become one of the most informed strikers uh, in the league. And it was a testament, you know, to his uh, confidence. Uh, it was a mistake by Marco Kukurela, who was, uh, you know, has never immersed himself in Chelsea colours. He's one of the problems of this current Chelsea regime, but what a goal by Oli Watkins! You that know, way. this that is way. a this is a striker on confidence. You know, to just lop the ball uh, over the goalkeeper and then a sensational second strike uh, by John McGinn. So Villa are there. You know, um, they will give clubs a problem. What what they sometimes lack is their defensive solidity, um, which has been apparent before. You know, they've leaked goals in numbers. But when they come in with a clear game plan, like how they did against Chelsea, you can see that um as long as Chelsea did not score, as much as the game went on, Villa sort of grew in confidence. You know, they kept frustrating Chelsea and they hit them on the counter attack and got two superb goals. Yeah. Uh, but going back to, to Chelsea, I, I would just want to add on to some of the points that Asran had mentioned. You know, I, I really feel for Graham Potter because... Yes, he may not have been the right choice at Chelsea, but, you know, it was big shoes to fill for any manager for that matter, you know, uh, to not only fill to curl shoes, but to come into this new regime. You've got to remember that Potter was not coming into just a job. He was coming into a new regime, a new regime with a new owner, you know, new players being brought in and obviously new coach. So it was a shift in dynamics, shift in mindset, and a shift in footballing culture. Mm. You know, uh, yeah. Todd Boley had said that he he wasn't going to be like Robin Abramovich, but he turned out to be exactly like well, him.
2: Well, I mean, he gave him quite a lot of time. I think Abramovich would have uh, given uh, Potter the cement boots and thrown him in the Thames a long time. <laughs> Well, if you if you
1: look at the performances in the last few games, Chelsea had actually been improving. They won their last uh out of out of four games, they won three, they drew one. Uh so they were sort of building a momentum. I thought this was just unfortunate for Chelsea because yeah. you know of the international play and yeah, whatnot. Yeah. No,
2: absolutely. I, I think actually I th- I saw a stat which I didn't quite fully understand that, that Potter actually had pretty much the same home start uh as Mourinho. Um Amrino did quite well, but let's move on to Graham Potter's next club, uh, which is, well, Leicester, Crystal Palace 2, <laughs> Leicester City 1. Rogers got sacked. <laughs> um, I mean, I know, I, I was around, you know, if there are three vacancies. There is only one Nagelsmann. Uh Well, I think I think we can all agree it was probably time for Rogers to go. And and who would who would take his place?
0: I think when when you mentioned Potter just now, Cam, that can happen. Uh, I don't see Rodgers going the other way around, though, returning to Chelsea. Uh, but again, now nowadays, we, we just mentioned the fact that fans... I, I believe that the reason behind Chelsea having to sack Potter was the fact that the fans were clearly against him. At the end of the final whistle, you could hear the booze ringing around Stamford Bridge. And now, the fan pressure is very, very critical. No, It's a global game. Fans are no longer patient as before. But with that, we have quite a number of managers that are without a job at this point of time. So we've got Nagelsmann, Luis Enrique, Brendan Rogers is a decent manager. Mind you, Brendan Rogers did win something uh, with uh, Leicester. Let's remind ourselves that he did win the FA Cup for Leicester. I think it's their first FA Cup victory ever. Yeah, uh, which Chelsea which I think that.
2: might actually be the kiss of death for a manager if <laughs>
0: it doesn't really work out. Yeah, but but again, getting some silverware for a club, I think that's that's absolutely fantastic. No, but well, unfortunately cho- for Rod...
2: we don't have much time. So choose somebody who you think would be a good fit for Leicester.
0: For Leicester, Potter.
2: Hmm. Okay, and uh, Nicholas it? Nicholas, quickly, who do you think would be a good fit? I think Patrick Vieira personally. I think he turned around Crystal Palace really. Quickly, yeah, you need
1: a yeah. I, uh, I, I actually am kind of fond of uh, both these managers. Potter, I, I feel, uh, would be a better choice simply because you know he's proved himself with Brighton and he wasn't given enough opportunity at Chelsea. So to jump back to a job with perhaps lesser sort of expectation, uh, would be perfect for someone like like him.
0: Yeah. yeah. The only question now, though, Cam, is it's what ten games, ten to twelve games left in the season. Whether a manager of that standing would want to take that risk, especially in a club fighting relegation. And Leicester, unfortunately, now after not winning what six games, they haven't won six games and they've lost what six and seven. They are really in uh, for a relegation dogfight. So it, I'm not yeah. too sure the Potter will accept that. And maybe next season Potter can take uh, Leicester.
2: Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, though, I guess we find out what Claudio Ranieri is up to these days. Uh, that would be impossible. I could happen could it it couldn't happen
0: no nah, i don't think yeah,
2: so <laughs> um okay we move on and be- the great thing about this season is there's clashes at the top and the bottom in part two we're going to be looking at kind of the middle of the league here on just for kicks on bfm
0: 89.9 more football when we come back just for kicks bfm 89.9 just for kicks on bfm 89.9
2: Welcome back with myself and Azran and Nicholas. And now Nicholas, this match turned out differently from the way I expected it. Newcastle United two, Manchester United nil. It was Newcastle all the way. They very good. Uh, how come they're good? What what is it?
1: Oh, they were amazing. I was. I just thought about the um, Carabao Cup final uh, not too long ago, and it was a complete contrast of uh, the Newcastle performance here, you know, they came out all guns blazing. They were hungry. They they were dynamic, you know, they were direct. Um, And, you know, they had everything. They had the speed, they had the energy. And eventually, you know, they found uh, two goals that were were so priceless. Uh, And it was Newcastle all the way from the start. Again, you could see the the, the game plan, you know, to, to attack the wings uh through St. Alan Maximan and uh, Jacob Murphy on the right, who's been absolutely amazing for them. Uh, and as the game wore on, I, I sort of got a feeling that if Newcastle weren't going to score in the next 10-15 minutes, you know, United might just hit them on the counter because they too have a lot of firepower, especially on the flanks. But United just did not show up at all. You know, uh, they just were second best, best to everything. Uh, and eventually, uh, Newcastle got the deserved win. And I think, it again, you know, they've, they've st- started to find uh, form at the right time. Players are also peaking at the right time. We saw Callum Wilson uh, score at the end. Now, Callum Wilson, for me, had been missing in the last several games. And for him to sort of find his groove back is so important for Newcastle. And also Alexander Isak. You know, we really need to talk about this guy because he's coming with such a huge... Price tag, you know, uh, Newcastle's record signing, if I'm not mistaken. And a lot of expectations on him to find the net. And Isak is beginning to deliver. And for me, he seems to have the complete package. You know, he's got speed, uh, he's got directness, and he's obviously got the goals in him. Even if if he doesn't score, you know, he's always involved uh, in the link-up play, which leads to the goal. So, uh, outstanding win for Newcastle. It puts them back within the Champions League uh, qualification um, and it was, yeah, another off day for United, Manchester
2: United. Yeah, nowadays we, we can't just say United, can we? <laughs> We're going to have to be careful with our words there. So uh, with United, Manchester United, uh, Asran, you're a Liverpool fan, so I guess you would always savour the opportunity to talk about a United defeat. Uh, what went wrong? I was thinking they they need a striker, but then they've got lots of strikers.
0: Yeah, not necessarily though. I wanted a draw. It would have been the best result for the other team chasing Oh, the give it day. up. Give it but, up. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think as as Nick mentioned, Newcastle truly deserved the win. I think how Newcastle are picking up form at this point of time is reminiscent of how United did it a couple well, a month, a month and a half ago before that devastating loss against Liverpool, I would say. Sorry to 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 remind that game, but You're not think, sorry at all. United was the team on form. But now, based on yesterday's showing, clearly Newcastle is picking up the, the right form at the right moment. And Newcastle, uh, United, Manchester United, sorry, looked a bit lost. Uh, again, they were outplayed, outshot. I think if not for De Gea, they probably would have lost by a bigger margin yesterday. Uh, and I again, it was. I think they were banking on the fact that Rashford was on form. Unfortunately, now Rashford's uh, scoring streak is is slowing down. Um, yeah, uh, things are not looking that great at Manchester United at this point of time, but yeah, it's all to play for, it appears. Uh, for fourth place now, so it's between six teams fighting for fourth. Uh, I mean, friendly enough, because I'm sure we'll talk about the game of the weekend after this. Uh, Brighton against Brentford,
2: mm, absolutely. I just want to ask two of you quickly uh, if you uh, were in charge of Manchester United and you could choose you could pick one position to, to, to buy over the summer, what, what position would that be? That
0: be center forward. Clearly, I think they yeah. need a center forward. Uh, Harry Kane is being touted for, for Manchester United, that has been for a couple of seasons now. That might happen, and uh, yeah, I think that's what they need at this point of time. Yeah, Nicholas,
1: yeah, yeah, I agree with Azra. Uh, you, you look at Wackhouse, um, you know, he's a workhorse, you know, he does everything, he runs, he, he fights, he battles. But ultimately, as a striker, you know, he's not producing the goals. And um, I think they had Martial back, uh, back from injury, you know. Uh, But, you know, he's going to take time to find his groove, to find the goals. Um, And yeah, without a a recognised centre-forward who can plunder in the goals, United will struggle. And I think the search or the hunt to get Harry Kane has already begun. Because looking at the situation at Spurs... um, I don't think uh, Kane will, will stay on for much longer. And oh, yeah. it's just a matter of time, you know, who, who swoops in with the best deal for him. Yeah, so yeah. if, you know, I was in the United uh, hierarchy, I'd be putting all my efforts into getting a uh, formidable forward. And uh, I will not I need to look that far because Harry Kane is, is there. And, mm-hmm. you know, everyone knows what he's capable of.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, as Azran mentioned just now, the game of the weekend, Brighton 3, Brentford 3. Nicholas, I want to ask you because you know everything about football. Had you actually heard <laughs> of Mitoma before this year?
1: I I did. I actually watched him in the World Cup for Japan when he when he came on as a, a sub, as a super sub, uh, and and he did really well for Japan. The,
2: but the, oh yeah, but that was the World. This World Cup, recent but, World Cup. Yeah, before yeah. Before the World Cup, had you heard of Mitoma?
1: I I hadn't heard of Mitoma because yeah. he was playing in the J League with Kawasaki Front Frontal, and you know. Um, he he was a relative unknown um, until you know that whole story about how he actually studied, you know, he under he underwent a thesis in dribbling. And when he graduated, he, he came back with all this data and and used his degree pretty much to catapult himself into EPL stadium. And I I like that about um about Brighton as well. You know, they, they are a club that looks to emulate the money, uh, the, the movie moneyball uh, where mm. they recruit based on data you know so mitoma is one of the examples of this data recruitment uh, moses saisedo is another one and and these two players have been absolutely instrumental for for brighton um, mitomas scored a wonderful goal reminiscent to how uh, watkins uh, beat kepa um, the same thing Mitoma did, and you know his stock has just risen and risen and risen. It it was a wonderful game, yes. Alran said it. You know, game of the weekend, but deservedly he was absolutely fuming. Despite Brighton getting a draw, uh, at the end, you know, he he was sort of devastated because it, it was unbecoming of Brighton to concede that many goals. But you know, for for the neutrals. For the neutrals it was amazing entertainment. And um, um yeah, I think Brighton will just go on to, to to push for even a Champions League spot by the way that they, they are playing.
2: And Asran, Brentford, Brentford are the real deal now. There, there are three uh, West London clubs in the league. And Brentford is is uh, it's actually a, a big club, but the smallest of the three, and it's it's a it's above the rest of them. It's in seventh. What, we the, thought what, last year was a, a one
0: off for them, isn't it? But This year, clearly Brighton and Brentford are the surprise teams of the season. In fact, um, they were playing so wonderfully. Both teams had really attacking vigour. I think even Brentford would have been disappointed after leading three times to um, lose that equaliser at the very last minute. Uh, But yeah, at this point of time, both Brentford and Brighton are really, really up there for European qualification. So I foresee both probably will play in, in Europe in one or the other competitions next year. So, uh, yeah, amazing stuff by Brentford by what we call a small club from West London. No, But they are, they are really, really performing at this point of time. Again, even Tony is at his best, finally getting the England cap that he deserves. So, I think all across the park, they've got a solid team that plays with each other with a clear sort of style of playing ever since last year. I think that's, for me, this is one reason why sometimes you need a bit of stability in a club not sacking a manager after 40 games because when the, when the players know each other with a certain brand of football, you can you can punch above your weight. And that's what Brentford and Brighton has been doing, even though yeah, Bright, Brighton did change manager at the start of the season. But uh, Roberto De Zerbi probably added on to what uh, Potter started building in uh, Brighton.
2: Mm. And they're both above Liverpool, by the way. So you would like them both to, according to what you said last, last time out, that, that, that take it easy. You know, yeah. just, you know, they'd be happy and with draw, it, was it. was A good,
0: so and draw was a good result for the rest <laughs> <Yeah>. of us.
2: <laughs> yeah, I was wondering why you're being so magnanimous. Okay, uh, Nicholas, Bournemouth 2, Fulham 1. At, uh, I think the consensus amongst all the pundits in on Friday and Monday, for a while, everyone said, oh, Bournemouth are, are done with. You can set in stone, they're going to go down, and it'll just be two others. But they're kind of surprising people. Fulham, who I had down as a relegation. Certainty at the beginning of the season, uh, are, are nowhere near it, but they um they suffered a defeat here and deservedly so.
1: Yeah, uh, it, it was a weird game. Uh, Fulham started off well, you know, took a deserved lead through Andreas Pereira, and then uh, suddenly it seems like they went to sleep and they allowed Bournemouth uh, to get back into that game. Uh, it was a wonderful uh, equalizer by Bournemouth. I, I can't remember the guy's name, but it was amazing. That's the thing
2: about Bournemouth. No one can remember any of their names.
1: Yeah, but he picks it up right at the edge of the box, and oh yeah, at at that angle, the only way that you know it would it would go in is at the top corner because it was a crowded penalty box, you know. And he fired it left footed, curled right into the top corner, and that brought Bournemouth uh, level. And after that, it was Bournemouth who was pushing for the winner and got a deserved winner. But I have to say, you know, looking at the Fulham defence, they were to blame because uh, in the lead up to the goal, it was a shot saved by the keeper. And you had two Fulham defenders on the line. No one did anything. And, you know, they allowed the Bournemouth striker to come in, steal in rather, uh, and score the late winner. So uh, it was a tough defeat for Fulham. But I also say that they were lacking in quality because they did not have Mitrovic, they did not have William who were both suspended uh, unnecessarily against United in the FA Cup not too long ago. And these two have been one of the biggest uh, influence uh, and, you know, also assets for, for Fulham. So without without their firepower, Fulham really struggled up top. And defensively, they were really found one thing. But a great win for Bournemouth, you know, just when you think that they are down and out, you know, they pop up with wins like this. Nobody thought that they would beat Liverpool uh, not too long ago, but they did. And I think for Gary O'Neill, you know, it's just a matter of trying to work within the limitations that he has. Uh, there was a takeover in Bournemouth uh, at the end of last year, and he was promised a transfer kitty. But I did not see any one of uh, you know real quality coming to the ranks. Um, and, and and the and the guy who got the winner was Dominic Solanke, formerly of Liverpool. You know, they're going to look to him as someone who who should be able to try and get the goals for them um again for me bournemouth I, I will still struggle they will still be among the relegation mix so for them to get uh, wins like this is absolutely priceless but mm. it really remains to be seen uh, what the future holds for them
2: yeah uh, yeah i don't azran really the excitement i think for this season i mean the the, the the clash at the top is exciting too but it is at the bottom there there are nine teams nine teams in the relegation fight do you think bournemouth could possibly turn it around
0: well but I mean, at this, even at the start of the season, for me, the problem with Bournemouth is that they, they concede too many goals. So, But as you put it correctly, uh, Cam, the the positions are so tight that, you know, a team that is currently 19th or 20th with a single win can go all the way up to 15th or 16th. That's how the season is running, right? But with Bournemouth at the end of the season, I think the unless they can really shore up their defence... Uh, yesterday, they did pretty well uh, to to um, confine Fulham to just a single goal. But as you mentioned just now, Fulham was without their striker, the biggest talisman, no, the biggest threat, which is um, uh, Mitrovic. Uh, yeah, but the problem if we see the first 25, 26 games, Bournemouth has conceded too many, and that's why I still believe that they will go down together mm-hmm. with uh, some of the other teams that we'll mention after this.
2: In a moment, we're going to come back and we're going to go to the top of the table which is kind of like yeah yeah whatever but anyway we'll we'll give it some time won't we as we'll talk about liverpool and uh when we come back here on just for kicks on bfm 89.9
0: more football when we come back just for kicks bfm 89.9 just for kicks on bfm 89.9
2: Welcome back to part three. We're now looking at the top of the table with Asran Rosane and Nicholas Anil. Before we turn to Asran, let's get the impartial view of Nicholas Anil on Manchester City four, Liverpool one. And I thought City were absolutely fantastic. And they were without Haaland. And I'm wondering, is this actually pure Pep? Without Haaland, this is Pep condensed.
1: It's just Pep having uh, a wealth of quality within his ranks. You know, you look at Julian Alvarez, who came in uh, to deputize for Haaland. Uh, I was shocked to to see uh, Alvarez's stats. He's already scored 13 goals. Um, If you were to remember Alvarez featuring this season, you you wouldn't have seen him in all that many matches because he's either come on as a substitute mainly uh, or he's warmed the bench. But He scored 13 goals. And -hmm. apart from him, you look at the quality that City had, you know, everybody was on show. You know, De Bruyne, Rodri, Mares, and Grealish uh, on either side of the flanks. And apart from that early Liverpool uh, good spell where Salah capitalized by scoring, it was one-way traffic. And I don't think uh, Jürgen Klopp will have any complaints about uh, the scoreline. You know, there's a lot to delve into his team's shortcoming. But for City, you know, it was a magnificent day at the office. And for me, Jack Grealish stood yeah. out. I think he had the best performance in a City shirt. Mm. There was uh, one uh, incident that stood out for me, uh, it was just, which was at the start of the game when Salah was true on goal. And Grealish from the left wing position darted across to the right-back position, matched Salah strike for strike to snuff out the chance. And after that, you know, he just showed his attacking um, uh, capabilities by setting up one goal. He even got on the score sheet and he was involved with everything that was good for City. And, you know, when, when he wasn't being the threat, then you had Mares, You had also De Bruyne to link up the play. And you know, Alvarez was there obviously as well, so um, it was a flawless city performance. Yes, they may be upset with that goal conceded, but Liverpool started strongly but faded off very, very quickly after that.
2: Yes, well, let's get into that, Azran. Um, the uh, there's a fanciful notion that uh, you mentioned it earlier that Liverpool are in the running for top four spot. Um, I don't think so. We, I think we now know, we know clearly what the problem is, that his players are not fast enough, not fit enough, perhaps, tired, perhaps, but just simply not fast enough to play that Klopp game. And and I'm wondering, can Klopp rebuild? Does he have another style? Because I, when I remember uh, Alex Ferguson, he rebuilt teams, but they were always different. Where Klopp really has one
0: style. I wouldn't say that, but clearly there is a need to rebuild. Um, I think uh, what Nick mentioned is correct. You can see that City showed what champions are made of. No, They could have wilted after losing the first goal, uh, the smash and grab by Salah. But the quality that they have around them, really, truly, I think the turning point was when Jack Krealish chased down Salah. They were 1-0 at that point of time, by the way. And immediately, a couple of minutes after that, he went up front, assisted Alvarez for the goal. So what Liverpool doesn't have is... Currently it's there's a need for a rebuild, especially in midfield. Uh in the second half, you could see City could bring out Bernardo Silva, who scored a couple of goals in international, where else Liverpool could bring on only what Alex Oakslate Chamberlain, who's been injured half of the time he's been at Liverpool. So Liverpool's issues are clearly in the midfield, where it's a jaded, tired midfield. Uh I am hopeful that uh, he will build and he will bring a number of fresh midfielders. Then Liverpool are currently being linked to a number of good young midfielders at this point of time. But yeah, the fact that he had to start with Harvey Elliott, who just turned 20, uh, well, he's turning 20 tomorrow, I believe, uh, speaks notion of the fact that there's not enough people in the engine room for Liverpool at this point of time. So, especially after last season where they played every single game possible it is really a tired jaded Liverpool squad having said that I think they're good enough you can see Liverpool showed flashes of their brilliance if Salah had scored if again it's obviously it's a story of ifs and buts if Jack Grealish didn't perform to the best of abilities if he didn't <laughs> there's a lot of
2: ifs Salah. going on
0: here a lot of ifs <laughs> and Salah had, Salah had squared it over to Jota, who would probably would have uh, knocked in the second goal for Liverpool. Different things could have happened. But yeah, now Liverpool play Chelsea uh, in midweek, a, a managerless team. So Liverpool has to get this sort of game's uh, back contract. The problem with Liverpool this season is they're they're being a spurs. You know? <laughs> one game on, one game off. Winning 7-0 against United and then losing against Bournemouth. So hopefully now the next game is an on game for Liverpool and the next... 10 or 11 would be on games for Liverpool. That's what all Liverpool fans are hopeful for, of course. Okay. Because clearly the rebuild needs to happen. And the only way great players would want to come to Liverpool is if they continuously qualify for the Champions League. And being in the Champions League is really, really important for not just Liverpool, for United, for Newcastle, for Spurs as well. So let's see. This race is on.
2: Yeah, but not for Brighton. I mean, they, just, they should just take it
0: easy. And, <laughs> and Brentford, right? And Brentford, <laughs> just 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 yeah.
2: Relax.
0: Yeah, just relax. Play in the, the conference league. It's it's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely.
2: Uh Nicholas, I don't know if you I don't know if you want to talk about uh, Arsenal, but Arsenal 4, Leeds 1, Uh I thought Leeds started pretty brightly, but then Arsenal just turned it on and snuffed it out very quickly.
1: Yeah, that's exactly it. Uh it, it was reminiscent to the City Liverpool game in some sense. Um, Leeds started off strong, uh, had a couple of shots on target, but once Arsenal got into the groove, you know, uh, there was really no stopping them. Uh, they were just so comfortable, you know, moving the ball, you know, with confidence, with ease. Um, you know, they were targeting the right side where Luke Ayling uh, started. Luke Ayling has not been the best defensively this season. You know, they exploited that uh, through Martinelli. Um obviously you had Trossard on the other side, causing all sorts of problems as well. Um, you have Gabriel Jesus who got on the score sheet. Twice, you know, he's back. Jaka uh, has been an absolute rock uh, in midfield. So, you know, th- there's been a two part to Arsenal for me this season. You know, there's been an there's been the Arsenal team that has snatched uh, victory from from uh, from what looks uh, to be a draws. You know, they did that against Man United. They did that against Bournemouth, They did that against Villa. You know, three points garnered out of. Nowhere when they were look when they looked destined only to get a draw, and then there's been this Arsenal side, a free flowing Arsenal side that is capable of you know, uh, penetrating through any defense. Uh, it wasn't vintage Arsenal by any stretch, um, I think they were not as free flowing, but that also had to do by the fact that uh, Javi Gracia had set out leads to be, uh, you know, uh trying to contain Arsenal and trying to stuff out uh, snuff out the, the threat in midfield so they weren't allowed to really uh, exploit spaces in midfield but eventually you know they got the goals and you know it was a, it was a great confident performance for them. For Leeds, um, it was difficult to swallow but you know uh, I think a lot of Leeds fans would have known that among the 10 games left, this was not really a winnable game. If you look at the the lineup uh, before the game, you know, it was uh, 5-4-1. Sinistera, Luis Sinistera, who's not played all that much, was deployed in a centre-forward role. Uh, That, that for me, was quite questionable because I thought Patrick Bamford had done really well. But I understood the notion of trying to stifle Arsenal out and, you know, trying to frustrate them as much as possible. But eventually, uh, you know, Arsenal's class stole. And for Leeds, I think the only positives is... uh, they've got a uh, a big match coming up against nottingham forest you know this is going to be one of the relegation battling matches that really needs to be won and you know uh, they got to just put away this defeat and start for the is, is that, that at match. home
2: is that at home
1: yes that's oh. a home game all
2: right well that that'll help them so leeds are just above the relegation so- zone on goal difference which i didn't know leeds could could ever lead on goal difference against anybody <laughs> <laughs> um Asran, on 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 the basis of just these two matches with City and Arsenal, which, which of the two do you, do you think looked the better?
0: Well, I think both over... Just by the virtue of this weekend alone, I think it's difficult to pull them apart. But from the start of the season, I've always believed that it's it appears if it's Arsenal season. I think Nick mentioned some... The thing about Arsenal this season is the fact that even in games that they haven't played well, they've won those games by a single goal margin and games that they should have won, like the game against Leeds uh, over the weekend, they won, I would say, comfortably. And having the fact that they have lost a number of players, uh, Saliba wasn't playing, Saka only came off the bench after the hour mark, uh, it shows that Arsenal has got a team, has got a squad at this point of time. I think you might have said, look, they were linked with Mikhailo Mudrik, and then Chelsea came in and stole him from Arsenal. Instead, they got Trossard. I think that probably has been a blessing for them, because Trossard, has fit into the Arsenal way of playing and has performed really well for Arsenal. So now you see uh, the players coming back from injury, Jesus coming in, and really, I think Jesus was probably the man of the match over the weekend. Uh, You've got Emil Smith-Rowe coming back from injury, and then you've got the other players, you know, uh, uh, Kieran Turney is now back. So Arsenal has got a squad, and with the confidence that they have coming in into the final stretch, I think they've got what it takes, plus the fact that they're out of Europe, whereas City has got... Another thing hanging on top of their head, which is their desire to win the Champions League, which they have never won before. And they know that this is probably one of their few opportunities to do so. I think this probably puts it in Arsenal's favour. But uh, the showing over the weekend, it was, I think, both showed that they were were really magnificent, worthy of uh, challenging for the title, both of them.
2: Yeah. Plucky underdogs, Arsenal. I mean, we have to remember that if they do win, it's not exactly like Leicester winning. I mean, they are Arsenal. They are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, Right to the bottom of the table, this is a true six-pointer. I mean, there were many, actually, over the season, uh, over this weekend. Uh, West Ham finally came good. They, West Ham won Southampton nil. West Ham scored with a set piece. And with that, they leap up to 14th, one point above the relegation zone. <laughs> um. People are saying that West Ham are too good to go down, Nicholas. Uh, but they—I don't know. I mean, they've struggled, and it's not exactly a sexy outfit. It's a funny way to put it.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's not exactly a sexy outfit because David Moyes is, doesn't play sexy football. You know, he's very pragmatic in his approach. Uh, you know, he 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 prefers uh, his team to be physical. Now, if you look at their form in Europe, in the conference. Uh, uh, championship or Conference Cup or whatever it's called, they've won 10 mm-hmm. matches consecutively. Now, if if you look at the league, they've been blowing hot and cold um, and really been troubled most times simply because they do not have a big squad to begin with uh, and this squad has to be spread over to competitions. Uh, but nonetheless, it was a good win. It was a deserved win against a Southampton side. I thought it was a magnificent header from their centre-back, a good which was only officially awarded after almost four minutes. Uh, this was due to VAR's uh, intervention. I think it was the longest in the Premier League this season. Uh, and eventually, it proved to be the uh, winning goal. Um, and they were also fortunate that they were up against a Southampton side uh, who's low on confidence, Southampton side who simply does not know how to find the net enough, a Southampton side who wasn't... Uh, uh, with, uh, their talisman. Um, and you know, uh, they had Theo Walcott playing a- as a striker and, you know, it, it just didn't bode well for them. So, yeah. well, uh, let,
2: let, let me, let me, uh, give Southampton over to Azran because, uh, Southampton are now officially at the bottom. And I don't know. I mean, it's 23 points. It, I mean, just four more and they could leap up to 14th, but perhaps we're saying goodbye to them. Uh, I even always forget that they're actually in the Premier League. So perhaps for the last time this season, tell me what Southampton
0: is. (laughs) Uh, The thing is, I thought Southampton did pretty well yesterday against West Ham. It was quite an even game. I think West Ham, uh, due to the troubles that Nick mentioned, uh, the fact that their their squad is absolutely stretched due to their participation in the Conference League, which they are still competing in, uh, Southampton did everything they could. Uh, And I think even towards the end, they peppered uh, the goal, the West Ham's goal. They even hit the bar. Uh, but I think, unfortunately, it's a combination of how Southampton has played over the past two seasons. I think ever since last season, we saw uh, through Rafael Hassan-Hutel, they were a team that blew cold longer than they had some of their hot moments. And it's continued this season. Um, yesterday, they played decent enough to, I think, at least get a point at the end of the day, I think they haven't done enough over the course of the season. So, because of that, I would say, for me, uh, Southampton will go down together with Bournemouth. Who the third team is going to be is still up for grabs. But, you put it rightly, Cam. Uh, Yesterday, West Ham started at 19th. Because of their win, they Popped up all the way to 14th. All these teams can do so. You no, know? one week you're at second last or third last, and you can go 12, 13, 14 because it's so close at the bottom of the league. I mean, uh, from all the way to Crystal Palace, right? From 12th place to uh, Southampton, it's just two game flip. So mm. anything can happen. But over the course of the season, Southampton I think hasn't done enough, so they'll go down. And Bournemouth will go down because they concede too many goals. The other team, it depends on who. Who will lose the six-pointers, as we call it?
2: Well, we've got another uh, six-pointer coming up when we get back after the break here on Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9.
0: More football when we come back. Just for Kicks, BFM 89.9. Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9.
2: Welcome back to part four of Just for Kicks with me, Cam Raslan. And we have Asran and Nicholas. Now, Nicholas, relegation six-pointer. Nottingham Forest won. Wolverhampton Wanderers won. I thought... Nottingham Forest should have won this one, but uh, uh, does a point do anybody any favours there?
1: Not really. If you look at the table, uh, they're separated by two points, which is really nothing to brag about, uh, especially if you look further down and see the the teams that are catching up to them. Uh, As you mentioned, Cam, uh, Forest should have won this. You know, they had so many chances. They did not convert. I think they hit the bar as well. And then Podence uh, ended up scoring a late equaliser Uh, and it stretches this Nottingham Forest winless run to February uh, when they beat Leeds United at home. You know, Ever since then, it's been made up of a lot of losses, several draws, Um, And the worrying thing about Forest is that, you know, they're sort of losing form at the tail end of the season. And it really does not bode well for them because they started off like a team on fire. I remember them buying up to 21 players, you know, and everybody thought that, you know, this was a team that is hastily assembled. But credit to Steve Cooper, you know, he really did well, got them firing. You know, they really played played well against some of the big boys as well. I think they occupied the top half of the table for... For, for long periods of time last year, but it all seemed to be crumbling a little bit now and they find themselves in 15th winless in the last five games. Um, and there's a huge relegation dogfight coming up against Leeds uh, this Wednesday morning away. So, you know, a lot is going to depend on that game uh, and it remains to be seen if Forrest uh, would, would take anything out of it. But just on the evidence of this game, they seem to be so blunt front. That I'm so confident that you know Leeds might actually have a goal fest at Ellen Road.
2: Oh, okay, calm down. Calm down. <laughs> <laughs> um, Azran. Meanwhile, uh coming up tonight, I think, is uh I mean time differences, etc. Tomorrow morning, I suppose. Everton versus Tottenham Hotspur. Now, I think it's been like at least 30 years since Everton have actually played a game of football. I can't remember <laughs> when they played last <laughs> year. Changes at Spurs as well. This who, how, what? How's this one going to turn out?
0: Yeah, uh, again, it's a it's a relegation important point for Everton and as well as Spurs because they are fighting for fourth, of course. But with all the changes happening at Spurs. Again, we've seen Spurs playing one week on. I think we've we've mentioned about it so many times, so I won't repeat myself. The fact that Spurs is so inconsistent. They are probably the most inconsistent form in the in in the league at this point I, of time.
2: I, actually, can I can I can I venture a, a term? Could we call them Spursy?
0: <laughs> yes. So again, with Sean Dyke at the helm, uh, playing at night, uh, and it's still cold up, up, up in the northwest. Uh, I see Everton at least getting a point. Uh, I don't see Spurs winning at all. But all you know, uh, Everton can do the something that they really, really need, which are three points, which will propel them up. From 18th all the way, they can go up to 13th, right? So, uh, I see a point at least for Everton here. Uh, I think Sean Dyke's team has got the metal, has got has got the drive, has got the ability to play in difficult conditions against a disjointed Spurs team. They've lost their manager and they've lost their what director of football as well due to suspension. Uh, I think he stepped down as well after he after the suspension was was confirmed. So, Spurs is everywhere at this point of time. So. Uh, I do foresee Everton uh, getting at least a point, maybe three. So, but in the meantime, maybe I'll say a point a point each uh, okay. tonight.
2: Does anyone have any inside information on who the next manager of Tottenham Hotspur is going to be?
0: So many managers are available at this point of time. This is one thing about, you know, all clubs press, pressing their panic button is that the fact that managers are, I mean, the number of jobless, good managers. Uh, Nugglesman, Enrique, Pochettino, uh, Potter... Uh, you name it. Uh, mm. if, you're,
2: if you're a truly ambitious manager and you have got a a good name, etc., even though Chelsea are lower down, you would probably want to go to Chelsea, wouldn't you?
0: Yes, I I think I would. Again, you, even though you know you won't be given that many matches, yeah. but at least you know that the Chelsea's owners will put in the money where their mouth is. Uh, Where else it's the other way around at, at Spurs. At least that's my opinion. People want to go to Chelsea. Mind you, they're still in the quarterfinals of the Champions League. Yeah. But that is truly because
1: they've got such a fantastic squad.
2: Nicholas, who, who, who do you think?
1: I, I would maybe even stick it out with uh, Spurs' current uh, interim manager, Christian Stellini, you know, who deputized absolutely magnificently for, for Conte. I think he'd won all the matches he was in charge with. So he knows the squad, he knows the players... He's got the formation that he wants them to play with. And there isn't this added pressure, uh, internal pressure with, with Conte being there. That's all gone now. So with the noise gone now and, you know, 10 games left, perhaps put a man that is already familiar with the Spurs setup uh, setup, rather than bring in someone from the outside who will take time to acclimatize and, you know, It's not a holiday period because Spurs are chasing their Champions League spot and they've got such a limited time to do so. So for me, a lot depends on this game. You know, if Stellini does well, I think he should be given the mandate to uh, Mm. be in charge until the end of the season.
2: Okay. Okay. Uh, Cellini came in with Conte, uh, but did not leave with Conte. And I think I've been in that situation myself when I got fired from a job and uh, I brought someone with me and he said, oh, I think I'll stay.
0: Yeah,
1: so How so it, 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 it's 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 probably the, the the trust of the of the management who sees some value in Stellini, uh, to keep him there because, like you mentioned, usually when the head coach goes, his entire coaching staff goes with him, but not in the case of Stellini.
2: Okay, we move on from one ex, well, not one extreme to the other, but one side of the world to the other <laughs> to um Malaysian football, and well, it's not it's not quite the same uh, <laughs> clash at the top of the league here. Uh, but uh, Nicholas, what's what's happening?
1: What's happening is Johor Darul Takzim JDT are uh, the league's runaway leaders. Uh, they've already opened up a five-point gap. Only six matches played so far, they've got they've scored twenty-five goals, only conceded one. Uh, so the game at the weekend was the top of the table Class, JDT versus Sabah. You know everybody was talking it up as the biggest match of the season yet. You know Sabah were going to give JDT a fight it ended up with a 4-0 thumping victory to JDT. So, you know, it's it's one team against the rest. Um, and it seems as of now, the rest are just playing to be the best of the rest. Um, so that's what has unfolded. I was at the uh, Klang Derby Derby for the Slango KLCT. Um, and that was also a one-sided game to a certain extent. Slango ended up being 3-1. Uh, winners. Uh, that puts them in the top four. So if you look at the table at this point, Cam, you've got a pretty solid, I would say, a hierarchy. JDT obviously be the five point lead, but you've got Kedah, you've got Sabah, you've got Selangor, you've got Pahang all big state teams, and I think this is what will keep the league uh going. You know, to see these state teams battling it out among themselves, uh.
0: To finish second.
2: Yeah. And uh, Azran, did you go watch uh, KL City?
0: Yes, I did. Um, again, it was one of the worst performances for KL for the past, I would say, three seasons. Uh, Selangor totally deserved the victory. KL did lead first. Uh, but again, this is reminiscent of KL's season so far. Uh, KL, we've led a num- in a number of matches, and yet the other team has managed to claw back. It started with the first game against Penang, similar again Kelantan, and in- against Selangor as well. Uh, KL scored first and then conceded two penalties back-to-back. But Selangor were deserved winners throughout. They outplayed KL. KL couldn't get a couple of passes together. Um, And the next game for KL in midweek is against Sabah, who, even though they got trashed against JDT, but uh, appears to be one of the forerunners, as Nick put it, for the best of the rest. Because clearly, it appears as if this season looks like it's done for. JDT will win it. You heard it here first on BFM. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, for the rest, I think it's still all to play for. Uh, Sabah, Selangor, Kerdah, they're there. I hope KL will start uh, with uh, on its winning ways against Sabah starting from uh, Wednesday night.
2: Well, that brings us then uh, neatly to the end of today's show. And uh, it, I mean, that was a great week end of football. I look forward to the next weekend as well. And so I'd like to thank our pundits, Nicholas Anil.
1: Thanks, Cam. I heard you will be at the KL match. So perhaps you might be their good omen for them to start firing again. It,
2: it is possible. If Azran <laughs> goes and protects me from his fellow hooligans, because uh, I've read about these football hooligans.
0: Yep, anything for a win, Cam. You are our lucky charm and hope. So hopefully we'll wins we'll for Liverpool for and KL. Coming week.
2: Okay, no, we'll send me to Liverpool. I'll take that one. <laughs> um, I'll be a lucky child, no problem. Uh, and uh, Asran Rosane, thank you so much. And join us next time on another edition of Just for Kicks here on BFM 89.9. Shots is one way, Salah's the other. He's on an old chap,
1: football tune in mondays and fridays at 8 p.m just for kicks on bfm
0: 89.9 you have been listening to a podcast from bfm 89.9 the business station for more stories of the same kind download the bfm app